0: Hey, this is the Matt Watch That Podcast, the place for reviews, rants, and randomness. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to watch a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, This week's movie comes to us from Fan 17 Thank you for the suggestion. And it's about a politician who sees the changing times and decides to have one last run before hanging up his hat. I think members from Congress need to take a cue. Look, our founding fathers were brilliant. They laid out the foundation for which this country was built upon. You know, that politicians these days are trying to dismantle. But no matter how brilliant, no matter how visionary, They couldn't predict everything. They never imagined that someone would make a career out of politics. I mean, let's put this in perspective. The life expectancy of people back then was 32. You get a case of gout, and 48 hours later, you were dead. So a person living to the age of 82 and spending 50 years in Congress was unthinkable. Which leads me to my proposition. We need to have limits on the amount of times a politician can serve. I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, Conservative, Liberal. I think this is the one area where we all can agree on. And that Sade is underrated. Am I right or am I right? Or am I right? Currently in the Senate, you can serve for six years. So I'll give you two terms. You get to work for 12 years. In the House, it's two years. I'll give you four terms. You have eight years to represent your constituency. The reason they get less time is because I want more people to have the opportunity to represent their community. After that, you're done. And I want to be very clear. This isn't an ageist thing. On the last Matt Forgot That podcast, I talk about the value that older people can give to a society. We can learn from them. They have something to contribute. So if you're 75 years old and you decide to run for Senate and get elected, go for it. But you still only get two terms. You know, if you live that long. But my biggest issue is that they have too much power to remain in power. I'll give you a recent example. Now everything turned out fine in the end, the bill passed as it should have, but the process to get it there was infuriating. The Senate wasn't doing their civic duty, just the latter. A few weeks ago, a vote came up for the PACT Act, a bill that supports healthcare related to veterans who are exposed to toxic substances during service. It passed the House and initially passed the Senate, but there was a small revision needed and a re-vote occurred, and some members of the Senate decided to vote against it, temporarily taking vital care away from veterans. Think about that. Members of Congress can choose from dozens of health care plans that their $174,000 salary can afford, but they deny health care to the people they claim to support most. Right? Watch these politicians write a compassionate tweet on Memorial Day and Veterans Day. I'm sure that they'll wear the yellow ribbon on their $3,000 suit that was paid for by lobbyists. And you know for sure that they stand for the national anthem. Unlike that Colin Krapernick. But a bill that supports health care related to veterans who are exposed to toxic substances during service? Oh no, 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 screw them. I'm done with partisan politics. All of these people who would rather own the other party than actually make a difference to their constituencies are despicable. And this is the latest in a long line of acts that America can no longer afford. So we as a country have to rise up and say, all of you politicians, you're on notice. Now, members of Congress are never going to vote for this. This is their golden goose. There are people who have been in Congress for 5, 10, 15, 20 years who have never proposed a single bill. This is easy street. And don't get me started when people are struggling paycheck to paycheck that these people wind up millionaires. We need limits on the amount of times members of Congress can serve. Let's get it done, people. They work for us. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking at a 5 stars. 1 star is Skip It, 2 stars Watch at Your Own Risk, 3 stars Standard Fair, 4 stars Worth Checking Out, and 5 stars Must See. Now if I give a title 5 stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie. The Last Hurrah from 1958, or, as Spencer Tracy says it in the movie, The Last Hoorah. So how'd I miss it? I have a love-hate relationship with black and white movies. In my heart, I want to like them, because as a film major, I got into this industry due to my appreciation of cinema. I call it cinema. But in my mind, it's tough to watch older films... I find comedies to be more digestible. A Pie in the Face is as funny in 1930 as it is in 2022, and I have a soft spot for film noir, but when they've got those tough guy accents, mmm yeah, see? Older films tend to lose me. It was directed by the legend John Ford, who helmed The Informer, The Grapes of Wrath, How Green Was My Valley, and The Quiet Man, all of which he won an Oscar for Best Director. The screenplay was written by Frank S. Nugent, who scribed Ford Apache, She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, Mr. Roberts, and was nominated for Best Writing Screenplay for The Quiet Man. It was based on the book by journalist and novelist Edwin O'Connor, who won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in 1962 for The Edge of Sadness. This is something to look out for. Cleet Roberts, who is a pioneer in broadcast journalism in Los Angeles, plays a reporter in the film. So if you know who the hell that is, Look out for him. The movie stars Spencer Tracy as former governor and current mayor Frank Skeffington, ranked as the ninth greatest male star of classic Hollywood cinema by the American Film Institute. The nine-time Academy Award nominee won back-to-back Oscars for Best Actor in a Leading Role for Captain Courageous and Boys Town. Originally from Milwaukee, he enrolled in Marquette Academy High School, where he met classmate and future co-star Pat O'Brien, who plays John Gorman. They enlisted in the Navy together and would eventually share a studio apartment in New York while attending the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. He would spend a decade performing on Broadway before earning roles in Hollywood, where he was often paired with James Cagney. Diane Foster plays Maeve Caulfield. The Canadian-born actress started her career as a model before moving to England for training. She worked in the theater and secured roles in B-level British films, eventually relocating to Hollywood in the 1950s, where she signed with Columbia Pictures. Her husband Adam Caulfield is portrayed by Jeffrey Hunter. He started his career with the Northport Players, a touring summer stock theater company. His first professional gig was on the radio as an actor in the series Those Who Serve. His notable movie roles were in The Searchers and The Longest Day. At the time, he was under contract with 20th Century Fox, who allowed him to appear in the Columbia Pictures production. Lastly, Norman Cass Sr. is acted by Basil Rathborn, who is most famous for playing Sherlock Holmes in 14 films from 1939 to 1946. He was nominated for two Academy Awards for Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Romeo and Juliet and If I Were a King. He has three stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for radio, television, and motion pictures. The movie starts at the home of Mayor Frank Skeffington in New England. The headline of the morning news proclaims that Skeffington seeks fifth term. He'll be opposed by three other candidates for re-election. Later that day, he's visited by his political operatives to discuss his opponents in the race. The only viable candidate is a relative unknown, Kevin McCluskey, a lawyer and distinguished war veteran with no political experience. At the newspaper, the managing editor, Amos Force, wants to continue the editorial attack on the front page with no pictures of Skeffington. He wants an investigation of his income tax returns for the last 20 years, despite previously vetting. They're going to put the full force, pardon the pun, of the newspaper behind Kevin McCluskey and start telling his warm, appealing, and inspirational life story. Mr. Force calls into his office Adam Caulfield, a sports writer whose syndicated column brings in a tidy profit to the paper. He asks if Mr. Force was aware that Frank Skeffington was his uncle. He admits to not knowing initially and would have fired Adam if his column wasn't so popular. When he asks Mr. Force why he holds a grudge against his uncle, he responds that Skeffington is a common scoundrel who has $2 million stashed away in a vault in Mexico City. Adam challenges him to prove that assertion and suspects if it were true, the paper would have printed it long ago. Coincidentally, Frank invites Adam to his offices with a proposition. He says the old-fashioned campaigns of shaking hands, kissing babies, and speaking wherever people gather is going extinct. Television and radio will become the standard of politicians. It'll make everything streamlined and easily accessible. He informs Adam that this is his last run in politics and invites him to catch the act. Here's a quote without context. One more regret at my age won't make a difference. The Last Hurrah was an eye-opening movie, not from an entertainment standpoint, from a political one. It's astounding to think that campaign strategies, coordination between local officials and newspapers were just as prevalent in 1958. I think the biggest difference is that there were standards, both editorially and morally. When Amos Force accuses Frank of stashing money, his nephew Adam responds, I heard it was $4 million in Toronto. Does anyone in their hearts truly believe that news organizations need proof to report on a story anymore? Just say it was an anonymous source, and you're covered. It's also sad that some of the strategies used by politicians 60 years ago are still being implemented today. I'm sure this was a biting satire for the time, but after Amos Force puts the full support of the newspaper behind Kevin McCluskey, he says, We'll figure out why. They just needed to oppose Frank. Skeffington was well-acted by Spencer Tracy, a very natural performer. I felt like I was watching him say the words for, like, the first time. Some of the other actors, nah, not so much. They seemed to fall victim of the time. It doesn't spoil the movie, just dates it a little. Now for a little trivial trivia. Orson Welles and Jack Lemmon were both considered for the role of Frank Skeffington. The cinematography was captured by Charles Lawton Jr., whose filmography includes Brewster's Millions, The Lady from Shanghai, 310 to Yuma, and Comanche Station. It was edited by Jack Murray, who worked on She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, Rio Grande, The Quiet Man, and The Searchers. There wasn't any score to speak of, and I think it was a missed opportunity. I'll always advocate for music in films. The runtime is 2 hours, 1 minute, while that does fall into my wheelhouse, it doesn't feel like a long, dramatic film. And it did have bits of comedy and one-liners. It had a budget of $2.3 million and grossed $1.1 million at the box office. While it was not a success, it's considered John Ford's most personal film and one of Spencer Tracy's strongest performances. I give it 4 out of 5 stars. Add half a star if you're a political junkie. I think it can put in perspective the climate we're seeing in today's politics. If you've seen The Last Hurrah and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Dun. Moving right along, each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called watch that Playback. So, I grew up with dogs and cats. Love them both. I think my lifestyle is more susceptible to cats, but dogs would be so much more fun to have, let's be honest. Plus, they're always excited to see you. Cats used to be worshipped by the Egyptians, so they still have that self-importance gene in them. It's an honor for us to be feeding them. You could see it in their beady eyes. But I like watching comparison videos and came across a couple where cats and dogs are tasked with an obstacle course. It's stunning the amount of confidence cats have, They don't even look back to where they're stepping, they just plow ahead. Now dogs, it's surprising. I've seen agility courses on TV, and they zoom through those with ease, but put a couple of Legos or pencils out, and they're confused. What I've noticed about dogs is that their back ends seem to work independently from their front, and neither knows what the hell the other is doing. Anyway, they never fail to make me laugh. I've posted a couple of Cats versus Dogs in Obstacle Course videos. They're all available in the Matt Watch That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about The Tree of Life. It's rare that I'm into an artsy-fartsy film. I'll be the first one rolling my eyes over pretentious dialogue or overdramatic symbolism. Give me a couple of explosions, one-liners, and I'll be entertained. But there's something about this film that I truly enjoy. No sarcasm. It's legit. It's non-linear, so it jumps back and forth between time periods and storylines. It's got voiceover that feels mysterious. Oh, and, uh, there are some dinosaurs, too. It might want to explore the meaning of life and the beginning of life on the planet, but at its core, it's a story about the O'Brien family who live in a small town in Texas in the 1950s. The patriarch is the provider who's temperamental with his three sons. The mother is kind and gentle, supportive of the boys. The children are energetic and precocious as they find their way through life. In modern day, they experience a loss that has a profound effect on the family. It stars Brad Pitt, Jessica Chastain, Sean Penn, and Ty Sheridan. It was directed by Terrence Malick, who made the critically acclaimed debut film Badlands, followed by the equally impressive Days of Heaven. He would take a 20-year break, during which he taught philosophy in France. His return to filmmaking was 1998's The Thin Red Line, which was nominated for seven Academy Awards. The Tree of Life is beautifully shot. The cinematography is by Emmanuel Lubezki, which would earn him a nomination for Best Achievement in Cinematography. At 2 hours 19 minutes, it's already a long film, but in 2018, Criterion Collection released a version featuring 50 minutes of additional footage. Yes, over 3 hours. And I like it! I try to watch it every few years... You have to be in a particularly metaphysical mindset. Did I mention there were dinosaurs? That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see... Use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Head over to MattSaroski.com for the latest news and updates. And come back next time for the reviews, rants, and randomness. The life expectancy of people back then was 32. You get a case of gout, and 48 laters. Oh, whoopsie. <laughs>